Hi, Pastor Rob here from Blessed Hope Chapel and RobCartledgeMinistries.com. What you hold is true. Is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. John 20 verse 31. Now, for the title of the sermon, the most important consideration in life. It says, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. These things are written. This book was written so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Now, I've got this as a, a, a scripture. I chose this scripture because this, the truth of the gospel, and whether it is the truth or not, is the most important consideration that we can consider. Is that right? Amen. I think it's more important than anything else that you can consider in life. It's something that we have to make a definite decision on. It's something that has, and if we make a decision on it, it's going to impact our life considerably. Now let's turn to 1 John 2.22. It says this. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. So those men that denied that Jesus the Christ is the Antichrist. And I'm just putting that out there at the moment. Not that anyone actually right now needs to hear it because we all believe, amen? We all believe. But I think the, uh, the truth will, will prevail today. Let's have a look at this. Everything that is could only have come about by one means and one means alone. There could not possibly be ten explanations for how everything that is came to be, but only one. Every, everything that is, everything that we have around us, everything in this universe, every element of creation could have only come about by one means and one means alone. There could not possibly be ten explanations for everything that is came to be. There could only be one. How many ways has science tried to explain the origins of life? Right? Every time you listen to a new scientist with a new theory, he'll tell you a new way in which everything that is came to be. Amen? You'll always hear it. Every time someone like Richard Dawkins comes along, he comes along, he's got a new explanation. And then Christopher Hitchens, he's got a different explanation. And then there's a new breakthrough and they've got another new explanation. Science will tell you a new way that it all came to be. And you know what? People that follow science will say, that's the truth. That's the truth. No, no, hang on. No, that's the truth. Oh, hang on. Something that I believed 10 years ago, I don't believe anymore. Because science has changed its mind again. And now science is telling me they believe something else. So if you follow science, if you put your foundation into science and believe what they teach, you're going to have to change what you believe every 10 years when the new theories come forward. Who knows what I'm saying is the truth? Because who's experienced that? I've lived the life long enough to know that that's been the case. You know, if you go back to when I was at school, the Big Bang happened only a few million years ago. But every, every you know, 10 years, the Big Bang gets further away and further away and further away. The, the, the reason they say that is that it gets, it's a, we've got an older universe and an older universe is because there's so many things that have to be explained and they can't be explained by anything except an intelligent designer having designed everything that is. There's so many things that have to be explained that they have to say, well, it took billions of years for this thing to evolve like this. So the longer the life has to evolve, the more chance they think that it could have happened by chance. Does this make sense to you? That's why we keep getting these changes of explanation. But we've got to understand there's really only two ways of thinking about it. Everything that is was either created by nothing 
And that alone, you just listen to that. Everything that is was created by nothing. Who's considered nothing here? Have you ever tried to consider what nothing is? You know, Richard Dawkins is quoted as saying, and Richard Dawkins is the most famous atheist on the planet at the moment. He's quoted as saying, not everything that is was created by nothing. He said everything that is was created by absolutely nothing. Right now, so in a sense, his God is absolutely nothing. And what that means is, if you try to consider nothing, you have to consider nothing, like no matter, no life, no energy, no zero of everything. And then you've got to consider no God, no consciousness, no anything. And you know what? The more you try to consider that, the harder it is to consider because the moment you try to consider it, you've put a thought out there and that's something. A thought is something. So nothing in its absoluteness is an impossibility. There has to be something. And we are evidence of that. And you know what? In the very origin of everything that has ever, you know, or the origin of consciousness, we could say, there was God. There was God, he existed, and he existed in the form of three persons in a relationship, and he was all love because that relationship was the love factor. God didn't become a God of love just because he created things to love. He was a God of love because he existed in a relationship with three persons, and that was before anything else existed. Then, through that love relationship, he created all that is. And we have matter as we know it now and life as we know it now. But, it, but atheists will deny that, that that possibility is there. So what they believe is that everything that is was created by nothing for no particular reason because a, a true atheist, there's no meaning to life for them because they're just a bunch of molecules and enzymes and whatever else and they're just going to die and that's the end of it. No reason, no rhyme, that's it. Just all chance, sheer chance. By random chance, over multiple millions of years, now they require millions and millions and millions of years for everything to occur. But you know what? If you put nothing in a Petri dish and you leave it for a million years, do you expect anything to pop out of that Petri dish? Do you expect even an amino acid to occur? Don't expect anything from nothing. Yet our scientists are telling us that that's how we all came to be. Something from nothing. Now, I think that requires faith, don't you think? You have to have a lot of faith. I think so, those uh, atheistic scientists and people that believe that stuff have far more faith than me. I haven't got that sort of faith. I have faith in a God, a conscious God, a God who is a spirit who created all things. I have faith in that God. Yeah. Because it makes sense to believe that. Because what we have in the beginning, we have something. And that something created everything. That makes perfect sense to my way of thinking, you know. So the other way, there's two possible ways we all came to be. Either it was by nothing or everything was created by an intelligent and supremely powerful existence. Supremely powerful. We cannot be compared to him. We cannot consider him to be like us. We must understand. He has the power to create suns and planets and universes and galaxies. And, you know, he can create all life that is with the flick of his finger or with the breath of his mouth or with his word, you know, with his spoken word. He can create life. Now, that God is a God way beyond our comprehension. And this is the thing. Atheists try to think of God as just a person like us. And, of course, a person like us can't create anything like that. Science and all their, all their technology, they can't create life from, they get from zero, you know. You, you get all the amino, uh, all the sort of elements of life and you put them in, into one of their, you know, scientific computers or whatever, scientific, uh, you know, technology, technological sort of machines or whatever. They can zap it and do whatever they want. They can't make life. They can't make life. Life is something that only God can make. Does that make sense? So everything that is, was, in my opinion, everything that is was created by an intelligent and supremely powerful existence. 
I have gone a little bit into this evolution, intelligent design thing, but I don't intend to today. But I want you to watch this uh, Ben Stein's documentary. Who's heard of Ben Stein? Yeah, he does incredible documentaries. He's a really good journalist. But he does one called Expelled, No Intelligence Allowed. And in that movie, uh, it's a movie about a freedom of speech suppression to which scientists who believe in intelligent design. So these are scientists who are Christian. Um, they believe in God. They're being suppressed by an atheistic American academic dictatorship. So the atheists in the scientific world are suppressing the conflicting view. Because good science will always be open to both or to two or three different views of things. But in, in, when it comes to evolution, they can't touch it. You're not allowed to touch evolution. And uh, Christian scientists around the world are being expelled and are being having their licenses removed. They can't practice science because they believe in God and intelligent designer. And so it's really important uh, video and it's really good to watch. It will open your eyes to what's going on out there. Now, near the end of his life, Jean-Paul Sartre, he's a French philosopher, philosopher. he was an ex existentialist and a Marxist, so he was a pretty much an atheist. He said, I don't feel I'm the product of chance, a speck of dust in the universe. So he's laying on his deathbed, he's at the end of his life, he said, I don't feel that I'm a product of chance. He doesn't feel he's a speck of dust in the universe, but someone who was expected he started to realise that he felt that he was expected in this life. Someone who was prepared and prefigured and in short, a, a being whom only a creator could put here. And this idea of a creating hand refers to God. So at the end of his life, he looked at life and he considered all the philosophies that he had, uh, he had probably written and he probably believed that there's no God and, and you can do whatever you want in this life. And at the end of his life, this sudden thing came to him and he realised, I actually have a meaning and a purpose. I was meant to be here. Who knows you're meant to be here? Yeah? You have a reason for being here. You're not born just to have a party. Did you know that? You know, the, what, what Hollywood and the media teaches us is that we're, we're born on this earth just to party hard and have a good life. You know, make heaps of money, you know, have all the things that we can possibly possess, like cars and houses. We get taught this, that that's what life is. And you know what? If you don't meet that, if you don't, you know, make enough money, if you don't have all the girls or all the guys or, and all popularity and all that sort of stuff, you feel miserable. Because if you're basing your life on what the media makes, makes us think is the most important things in life, we're lost, aren't we? We're lost in that. We get lost in that. How many people you know, high-profile celebrities, commit suicide? How many heard? We heard of Robin Williams just recently. You know, you would think, you know, a, a comedian, somewhere struggling comedian would dream of being Robin Williams, wouldn't they? You would think that to become a celebrity of the caliber of Robin Williams, a comedian, a brilliant actor, he had it all, didn't he? He could do it all you would think that that guy would be happy. But you know what? He achieved more success than any of us could ever dream of. And he killed himself. So what does that teach us? What are we, lessons do we learn from Robin Williams' life? There's more to life than money. There's more to life than fame, popularity. There's more to life than just buying all the possessions we can get our hands on. We're getting brainwashed. I tell you, we are getting brainwashed at a very high level. There's a brainwashing over the masses. And we are swallowing it like a pill. You know, Christians do it too. We all swallow it. We're all swallowing it. It's a lie. The truth of the matter is we were created for a purpose. And that purpose was to be believers in God and to spread his gospel. The sooner we realise that and start to live by that, the sooner Jesus will return, I believe. Speed is coming. Amen? We've got a speed is coming. Jesus is returning. 
How's he going to find you when he returns? If you even have the remotest belief that Jesus is going to return, how is he going to find you when he returns? Because don't think that the leaders of this world are the leaders that are meant to be here. Okay, they're in place, they're put in power now for a purpose. But there's only meant to be one leader in this world, and that is Jesus Christ. And he's promised us in the word of God that he's coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to topple the world system as we know it. And the world system that the Antichrist is going to be setting up. He's going to overthrow it with the breath of his mouth. And those that believe in him will be brought to him. And we will be rejoicing like you would not believe. But how's he going to find us? Is he going to find true worshippers on the earth? That's his question. He said, "Will when the Son of Man returns, will he find true worshippers? Will they, will they be there? In my mind, I'm going to be a true worshipper. I'm not going to let the world and all its desires take precedence in my life and Jesus get squashed down and suppressed. I'm going to bring Jesus to the surface. I'm going to live for Jesus because I tell you what, I can put faith in Jesus. I can put faith in this Bible. There's not a single man on this earth that could speak to me more wisdom than the Bible. And if you think there is, if you think you are one of those, think again. Because nothing I've heard any man say in in all of my life on this earth, I've never heard a man speak something that has more power than this book here. And has more influence or has ever said a thing that has made me change my mind about it. Believe me, there's been things that have been said that has made me question things in here. But then when I look into it, it gets resolved pretty quickly. But you know what the problem today is? People watch a documentary about the Bible on some history channel. And they get taught a whole bunch of lies about the Bible. And then they go, oh, the Bible's a load of rubbish. And they, they never read it. And you know many of those types of people... I've actually had come up to me and start trying to have a debate with me about what's in the Bible. And I say, uh, hang on, have you ever read the Bible? Oh, no, 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 but I watched this, this documentary a few months ago. Oh, really? Well, I read it every day, and what you're telling me is a, is a lie. It's not true. You've been trained to believe a lie. You know, the world offers us nothing. Okay, there's good things in the world, amen? There's good things. We all would like to have a nice car so it doesn't break down when we're trying to go places, right? There's things like that. We want to have food on the table. We want to provide for our family. It's nice to have a nice house. But don't go wasting your life trying to buy the, a one and a half million dollar mansion. Because God's got a mansion waiting for us in heaven. You know? Just, uh, we've got to put Jesus first. George Bernard Shaw. Who's heard of George Bernard Shaw? Yep. He's most renowned as a free thinker and liberal philosopher. In his last writings we read, the science to which I pinned my faith is bankrupt. Not many people read this from George Bernard Shaw, by the way. They'll read all his early writings where he doesn't speak anything you know, quite remotely like this. But near the end of his life, in his last writings, he wrote, the science to which I pinned my faith is bankrupt. Its counsels... So what it's taught should have established the millennium, but it led instead directly to the suicide of Europe. Europe was, in his opinion, destroyed through it. Now, I'm not going to go into what made him think that, but we can sort of assume we, you know, are quite a few things. I believe them once. He did believe in them once. In their name, I helped to destroy the faith of millions of worshippers in the temples of a thousand creeds. So he, he destroyed the faith of many believers in Christ, this man. And now they look at me and witness the great tragedy of an atheist who has lost his faith. How's that? He lost his faith in atheism. He came to belief in Jesus Christ. Well, I don't know about Jesus Christ, but at least in God. Right? Just like that other guy, um, Anthony, Anthony Flew, who was, uh, years ago, was the world's premier atheist debater. And uh, at the end of his life, he turned to faith in God. He gave up atheism. It's interesting, isn't it? Okay, living as if he does not exist. John Bailey wrote, according to the teachings of our Lord, what is wrong with the world is precisely that it does not believe in God. Yet it is clear. Actually, I'll stop on that. What's wrong with our world today? People say, why is our 
society, you know, uh, becoming such a terrible place to live, you know, and in some parts of the world it's much worse than it is here in Adelaide. And, you know, simply you think about it. Back in, I think it was the 50s and 60s, prayer was removed from school. Uh, the teaching of, uh, they used to have religious studies when I was a kid. I used to go in, I used to get taken into the Church of England room and stuck in there. And, and I remember the lady, she came up, she, was, she said, did you know God is everywhere? And it blew my mind. I'm going, I'm looking around, God's everywhere. I was freaking out. And, and so my faith at that moment was sort of, a, 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 something happened in me. But then within a few weeks of that, of me receiving that teaching, religious studies was cancelled. And religion was removed from schools. And then now they wonder, why has everybody lost their morals? Why has morals departed from our society? Why do kids go out and do the most terrible things to one another? Well, you take God out of the schools, you take prayer out of the schools, you take it out of our society, and we're left to ourselves. And we are a dirty, rotten bunch of scoundrels when we're left to ourselves. You know, history has repeatedly shown us over and over again just what an atheistic or at least a, a godless society looks like. And it's terrible. Who knows of the atrocities that took place under Stalin? There's many different figures, but I think the one that I heard, which sounds reasonable, was about 35 million people of his own, 35 million of his own countrymen were killed under Stalin. 35 million. How many people in Adelaide? 1.8, one half, something like that. So do the maths, it's like, you know, 20 times more. That's a lot of people were killed. And why? Because he held an atheistic ideology. He believes that he was moving up, you know, becoming a higher, higher human form, you know, in, in, in an evolutionary plan. And he had to rid the country of all these lesser beings, lesser humans. It's exactly the ideology that Hitler took on as well. Hitler believed that he was the next Superman sort of thing, or he was moving the German people to that level. So he, he started to exterminate people in his own community that he saw as unfit. You know, atheistic mindsets are pretty bad. So yet it is clear that the unbelief which so bitterly deplored which he so bitterly deplored was not an intellectual persuasion of God's non-existence. Those whom he rebuked for their lack of faith were not men who denied God with the top of their minds, but men, while apparently incapable of doubting him with the top of their minds, lived as though he did not exist. You know, men will try to live as though he did not, that God does not exist. Do you know Christians try to live as if God doesn't exist? And I'll tell you how. Christians that involve themselves in all sorts of secret sin will think at the moment of involving themselves in it that God doesn't see. Who knows what I'm saying is true from experience? Yeah? We do. Christians do. Non-Christians, they don't consider God at all. So they can do whatever they want in their minds. But Christians who know that we have a higher authority watching over us, we should know that, and that should keep us living a holy life. We block it out for a time, and we commit the sin. And we know it's a sin, but we commit it. There's, there's some you know, pretty scary consequences to that sort of living. But you know what? The church doesn't confront it. I'm not saying all churches, but I'm saying a good majority of churches don't confront this. They're too afraid to bring it up and say, do you realise that when you're committing that sin, that you, you are putting a division between you and God and it's making it harder and harder and harder to follow him because the Holy Spirit gets grieved and cannot stay with a man who is committing those things. Don't expect to sit down, and I'm going to be graphic here, don't expect to sit down and watch pornography and expect the Holy Spirit to still be in you because the Holy Spirit is pure, man. The Holy Spirit is so pure. The Holy Spirit will not stay in you while you watch pornography. You will grieve him. He will depart. And unless you repent, he won't come back. We've got to repent. We've got to stay pure before God. Unbelievers, however, they don't have any concerns for that at all. So they just live the way they want to live. But they're going to have to give an account. We're all going to have to give an account. 
And I have always had my, my ministry and my, my, the objectives of my ministry is to prepare believers for the coming judgment. That Jesus Christ is coming and we're going to have to stand before him and give an account. You know, and I'm, I'm telling you, what I'm saying now, you can think two things. Either Rob's just carrying on a bit, making stuff up, or he's telling me the truth. And maybe he's telling me so that I can actually take it on board and start to change. You know what I mean? If you even remotely believe in Jesus Christ, you'll believe that he's coming. And if you believe that he's coming, then you'll believe what the word says, that he's the judge. And he's going to judge us. And I'm going to read some scriptures about that day, just so we can get a feeling of what that's going to be. Because you know what? We, we are either going to lose our salvation if we're Christians or keep it. And when I say that, that flies in the face of a lot of once saved, always saved teaching. There's a lot of Christians out there, they're called carnal Christians, and the Bible says if they do not turn, they will not receive salvation. The Bible's very clear. Most preachers avoid those scriptures because it's too hard, because they don't want to take away that, you know, that confidence that we have in our salvation. But I, I want to say salvation comes at a price, at a cost. Jesus says, unless you take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy. Why would he say that? Because we have to become worthy. Okay, we get salvation. Yes, Jesus died, that's done. But then from that moment on, we've got to stay worthy. We've got to stay walking that path. We've got to stay on the path with all our heart and all our mind. Everything has got to be committed to that path. And then once we've continued the race, as, as Paul would put it. We run the race and we, we get to the finish line. Don't think if you've, if you've recanted of Jesus Christ back somewhere, that just because you made a confession 20 years before that, that you're going to be saved at the finish line. You've got to run the race to be received the prize. Amen? Okay, I'm just going to give you some considerations here. Probably the most important consideration that a man can make in this life is one to do with the reality and the existence of God. You know, we all have to consider that. We all have to make a decision in relation to that. Do we believe in God or don't we believe in God? It's got to be decided in your life. Right along with that is considering whether there is truth in the claims of Jesus Christ. Every man has to make that decision. Do you know that those that go to hell don't go to hell at first because of their sin? They go to hell because they rejected Jesus Christ. Those that reject Jesus Christ go to hell, according to the Scriptures. The reason is is because if Jesus would lay down his life and he shed his blood for the sins of men, if that blood is rejected, that is the biggest crime you could possibly commit, is to reject Jesus Christ and what he did for you on that cross. Because to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that was the greatest thing he ever did. Jesus Christ created the whole universe. God created the universe through Jesus Christ. Amen? And he considered what he did on that cross the greatest act of grace ever committed by God. So for us to reject what Jesus Christ did for us is the worst crime in the universe. Worst crime. And that's what takes us to hell if we reject Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. The second judgment, well, well, the judgment, the white throne judgment, is where you'll be judged according to what you have done. And those that have done all these terrible, sinful, lived a sinful life will be thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. But you know what? Those that have followed Jesus and walked with Jesus and lived a life of repentance and repented their whole life and, and followed Christ right to the end of the road, they will receive salvation because Jesus Christ, his blood, has atoned for them. Not because they are perfect or good or righteous in, them, in themselves. The only reason they could walk a righteous life was because they followed the leadings and promptings of the Holy Spirit. You can't be good without the Holy Spirit. You know what, why, why you can't? Because if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you do a good thing, guess what you'll think? I'm a really good person. And the moment you think you're a really good person, pride has entered into your heart and you have corrupted that good. A man can't be good by themselves. It must be through what God works through them. Amen? Can you see what I'm saying? 
So the only reason I could walk out a righteous life in Christ is because of the Holy Spirit, not because of my goodness. So therefore, holiness is not a work. It is accepting the leading of the Holy Spirit and following the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's where so many Christians call me legalistic because I preach this. And I'm saying, Holy, holiness is not a work. Holiness is what takes place in you when you follow the Holy Spirit. Amen? So right along with considering that is, whether, uh, is considering whether what Jesus Christ said is true. You have to make that decision. Did what Jesus Christ say, was it true or was it false? If it's true, it has consequences. If it's false, then don't worry about it. In your mind. Because every man has to make that decision. Amen? I've made a decision. Jesus Christ said the truth. And no man I've ever heard speak in, in the whole world has spoken better. He's never made me see life so clearly as Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and life. And it's in the story. Amen? In our hearts. So you've got to make these decisions. When considering such important questions, we must also consider whether the Bible is what it claims to be, the very Word of God. Because if this Bible, if it's the Word of God given to us to guide us through this life, given to us by the hand of God, then we've got to take it very seriously. We can't not read it. But we also can't understand it unless we have the Holy Spirit. So we need to pray, God, give me your Holy Spirit so I can discern this thing. So if you want the Holy Spirit to give you discernment so you can read the Bible, just pray right now. Just pray, Lord, just help me right now. Just bow your heads for a second. Just, Lord, just help every single person here to get, receive the Holy Spirit. Come upon them, Lord, so that they can read this word, open it up, and receive what is written in it and understand it. Give them spiritual discernment. Give them spiritual eyes and spiritual ears to see and hear what the word of God says so that they too can believe without a shadow of a doubt. Amen. Amen. Now, once we go this far, once you've stepped that far, you've considered, is God real or not? You've got to make a decision. You've considered, is Jesus Christ who he says he was? You've considered that and you've come to your decision in that. You've also considered the word of God. Then you've got to consider the implications of these beliefs. If they are true, if these beliefs are true, if what you maybe are thinking about the Bible and about Jesus and God are true, they have implications on your life. They will change you. They will change you into a new creature. Now, you won't look any different to you are now. So in a sense, you won't become a new existence. Like, you know, but you'll be changed in here. Suddenly, life's not about, you know, what am I going to do today? It's what does God want me to do today? You know, I'm going to work and, you know, oh, it's a day of work. When you, you change, start thinking about it, you go, no, I'm going to work and I'm going to bring Christ into that workplace. doesn't mean you go into your workplace and you preach at every single person that walks in because you won't have a job for very long. But you go in there and you take the presence of God with you. Amen. And who knows when you take the presence of God with you into a place, that little things start to happen. Someone will come up to you at lunchtime and just say something to you and you'll say something back to them and they'll go, yeah, I never considered that before. You know, and, and next thing you know, you get into conversations with people. Who's had that happen? Yeah. Doors fly open when you become, when you give your life to, to Jesus and start following him. If God exists and Jesus' claims are true and the Bible is everything it claims to be, then what implications does that have on, upon us as humans? What does that do to us? And think of this. We can go through life and try so desperately hard to suppress and squash down those deep thoughts that keep rising to the surface. You know, these thoughts that I'm giving you right now, you're going to try to squash them down if you don't believe. But if you do believe, they're just going to be you know, on the surface with you all the time, which is going to be good. But if you but people go through life squashing these things down. And I've found that, you know, two in the morning you wake up, you're lying on your bed, pitch black, and suddenly these thoughts rise again. These thoughts come to the surface and you go, God, is God true? It's Jesus who he says he is. What does this mean for me? It means I have to change and I don't want to change. I like sin. I like doing sin. It's fun. 
even though it leaves me feeling pretty bad on a Sunday morning after a big night on Saturday night, you know? But you know what? You can't suppress it. You, you should not suppress it. You shouldn't suppress it. You should start to consider it and say, okay, what does this mean for me? What is this going to do to me? How is this going to change who I am? And what do I have to do to fall in line with Jesus Christ? Amen? We've seen it. We can try so desperately hard to reject every form of faith in a universal God who sees our every move. You can try so desperate, you'll try with all your might. Men seek hard after the words of other men who will comfort them in their atheism, in their agnosticism, and in the hope of that God is not going to hold them accountable. Do you know how many people don't think they're going to have to face God on Judgment Day? How many people I've spoken to? And I've, I've heard atheists say it. They'll say, I don't believe God exists. I don't believe there's a judgment day. I believe that when you die, that's it. But if God does exist, he's going to consider all the good input that I've given to this world, and etc., etc., etc. And he's going to, you know, if he's a decent God, he'll give me eternal life anyway. I'm like, come on, man. What do you expect of God? He did everything in his power to make sure that you come to salvation and make sure that you believe the truth. You reject it with all your heart. You actually become a militant objector of it. What I mean by that is there's the atheistic community today are militant in their atheism. They really don't want people to believe anymore. And if they even remotely hear you mention Jesus Christ or God, they turn and look at you like, hey, they're fighting words. You know, he wants to have a fight. And you, you say, God bless you, and they, you know, they want to have a fight with you. you know? So they're militant against God, but then they expect that if God is true, he'll still let him into the kingdom of God. That's a pretty futile belief. It's a pretty, it's a pretty weak, weak way of looking at this sort of, um, uh, this sort of truth that we should be considering. They listen to guys like Christopher Hitchens, Richard Dawkins, and others, and in the hope that their views are in fact correct, they play Russian roulette with their eternal life and put all their chips down on a poor hand. They do. People are out there, they're playing Russian roulette with their eternal lives, constantly playing Russian roulette. And people are dying. Do you know how many people I know that have died just lately, just died of cancers and accidents and all that? And you, you find out that they're atheists. And I, my heart really, you know, when I go to a funeral for someone like that, I mourn for that. I mourn for those people because I know where they've gone, according to the Bible. I know that they hardened their hearts to Jesus their whole life and now they've died. There's no way God will accept them. That's when I mourn at a funeral. When I go to a funeral of a believer, I rejoice. I'm sad that I don't see them for a little while, but I know where they're going to be. And I know they're going to be waiting for us. And when we get there, it's going to be the most beautiful thing. You know, who's considered heaven? You know how wonderful heaven's going to be? Where you can never die. You'll never, ever hurt. You'll never experience pain again. It says you'll never cry again. All of that's going to be removed. It's... It's the most wonderful place. I'm going to do a sermon one day just on heaven so you can get a picture of what it's like. You don't want to miss out on heaven. And you don't want to miss out on an eternal life in, in the kingdom of God either just because you wanted to harden your heart here and live, live by sin, live for sin. Does God exist? And if he does, are we accountable to him? If God exists, are we accountable to him? If God exists, we must also understand that he's predetermined a day when he will judge the secrets of all mankind. And just with that, let's just look at Romans. Let's go to Romans 2. All right. It says this, But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourselves for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgments will be revealed. What, is, what Paul is saying here. That's people that are stubborn are storing up a wrath. The wrath of God is going to be poured out full strength upon them in a place the Bible calls hell. And that I, I like you to think of it like this. God's a creator. He creates things, right? Just like, you know, I might create things. Just say, and there's a, a 
famous example in the Bible of a potter. He has, he creates pots. Some pots, he, has, he looks at them and goes, they've got imperfections, I don't want that pot. And he, he'll smash them, he's got that choice. He's, he's the potter, he can do what he wants with the pots. Amen? Creators can do what they want with their creation. If I make a, if I'm a carpenter and I build something and I don't like it, I have the right to smash that thing and do it again. Right? So that thing would come under my wrath if I don't choose to keep it. Does that make sense? Um, But because of your stubbornness, your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgments will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honour and immorality, he will give eternal life. See, if you persist in doing good, and if you seek glory, honor, and immortality in Jesus Christ, he'll give eternal life. I think that's a really good trade-off. You know, people work pretty hard to buy a house. They work pretty hard to buy a car. I'm going to work pretty hard to receive eternal life. You know, I know it's not a works-based salvation, but if that means that I have to give up sin and follow the leadings and promptings of the Spirit my whole life, I'm going to do that. You know, and if I do sin, just say I do do something I don't know, and God convicts me and says that's wrong, I repent. I find repentance is the most wonderful gift given to men. The most wonderful thing that God has given you, the most blessed gift of all the gifts, is the gift of repentance. That you can come before a holy God and say, Lord, forgive me, help me to change. I want to change. I don't want to be like that anymore. And He will go, okay. Simply like that. You know, because God, that's why he's referred to as Father. I had a dad who was a merciful father. And he, he would discipline me when I did wrong. But if I would come to him and I would repent to him, and, you know, Dad, forgive me, you know, I'm so sorry for doing what I did. He would completely and totally and unconditionally forgive me and it wouldn't be brought up again. It was a beautiful thing. You know, and he would embrace me. What a wonderful thing, you know, to know that my dad can forgive me. But if you have a dad that wouldn't do that, if you went up to your dad and you said, Lord, um, dad, forgive me for what I've done, and he goes, whack, and hits you, I'll never forgive you for that. You know, that's in a sense what Satan's like, I suppose, but it's, that's not our God. Our God is a God that forgives you no matter how bad you've lived, no matter what you've done, he will forgive you for every drop of that. And all you have to do is ask him to. That's mercy. That is the greatest gift given to men. And you know what? Men are so prideful a lot of the time that they don't want to repent. They harden their heart. They won't repent because it's a humbling thing. Who knows it's a humbling thing to repent? Yeah? Who knows that Christians should live a life of perpetual, unending repentance? Because who knows Christians sin as well. You know, I, I, I thank God all the time that I can keep coming back to him and asking for forgiveness. And I do often, right throughout my Christian walk, I will repent. And what I mean by that is not just saying sorry, it's saying I don't want to be like that anymore. I want to turn and change and walk according to your way and your will. It's, a, it's not just a sorry. We're not, it's not penance. This is not, you know, counting rosemary beads or something like the Catholic Church. This is, is completely and totally submitting yourself again to God and to his will for your life. So we'll keep on going. So to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honour, immorality, uh, sorry, immortality and immorality. No, no, not immorality, sorry. I'm thinking of another thing. Uh, morality. We want to seek morality. He will give eternal life, but those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Those who are self-seeking and reject the truth, remember I said that these considerations are very important. You've got to consider, is God real or not? You've got to make a decision. You've got to decide, is Jesus the truth or not? Is what he said true or not? And is the Bible true or not? You consider those things because... Those who reject that in the eyes of God and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger upon those. And it will be justifiable. 
There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Same first for the Jew, because the Jew were the chosen people of God before the Gentiles were, were brought in. So it says first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory and honour and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favouritism. He's going to bring judgment upon all men. No favouritism. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the, the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Isn't that interesting? It's not those of us that hear and agree with what is getting said today and in and, and, and any relationship to sin and, and living a holy life. We can agree all we want, but it's those who obey. When you read about those that are going to be cast out of the kingdom that came to Jesus and they say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, do many things in your name? Jesus will cast them out and says, because they did not do the will of God. They did not do the will of God. These are people who claim to be Christian. They didn't do the will of God. They were cast out of the kingdom. The will of God is paramount in a Christian walk, and so it should be. We should be following his, the leadings and promptings of the Spirit. So indeed, when the Gentiles who do not have the Lord do by nature things required by the Lord, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. So when we do the right thing, you know, it's, we're a law unto, them, uh, unto ourselves. We show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Just jump down to 16. It says, this will take place on the day, and this is I'm going to finish on this. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ. And as my gospel declares, there's going to be a day when Jesus Christ uh, is going to judge men's secrets. How many of you have secrets? Yeah? He's going to judge us for those. He's going to judge us for all those things we do, in, you know, in, when doors are closed, when, when it's dark or whatever. He's going to judge us for all things. He's seen everything we have ever done. You know, and that's a, a horrific thought. That's a horrific thought. We've got to really consider that. It's either we get right with God now and don't come under the wrath of God by accepting the most amazing gift of all, which is repentance, just Lord, forgive me. Or we suppress this and carry on in our life and the day that we die, we will face God and we will not be under the blood of Christ. We will not be protected by Jesus Christ. We will have no way of getting out of the condemnation that's going to come our way. There's only one way to heaven, it's through Jesus Christ. One way to eternal life, through Jesus Christ. This gospel declares it, it's been declaring it for 2,000 years. Nothing's changed. It's the same way in. So, my word to you is, you know, are you right with God? Have you completely accepted Jesus Christ into your life? Are you prepared to turn from sin and live a righteous life in Christ and do his will? Because it's the most important thing you'll ever, ever consider. If you have any, even the remotest doubt in that, I want you to come and talk to me afterwards. Because this is the most important thing you're ever going to decide to do in your life. And you're going to decide to become a follower of Christ. And that means that you're going to get people looking at you thinking, what's changed about you? But you're going to get people, when you mention what's changed about you, you're going to say things like, Oh, you're not one of those Jesus freaks, are you? And you know what I say? Yep. <laughs> I'm one of those Jesus freaks. Why? Because I believe what Jesus says more than what you say. And I don't care what you say. I only care what he says. My, the words I want to hear, who knows the words that you want to hear when you get to the judgment? When you, get, you come before Jesus, you know, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come enter into my rest. That's the words I, I live for that. I live for those words. You, I tell you now, when the judgment day's there, you're going to just wish so much that Jesus Christ is standing right beside you with his arm around you. Because when you see what's going to happen to the wicked, you're going to want to be on the side of the righteous. 
You know? Now what's going to take place in you is going to be a complete change of attitude towards everything that you've ever believed. It's going to change so many facets of your life and it's the best change that's ever going to take place. Who among us here that are Christians know? Yeah, best thing you ever did? Couldn't have it any other way, amen? You know, I'm prepared to die for my faith. Yep, I'm prepared to die and Jesus says many will. And and it was James that was speaking about those in those countries where right now, right now, there's Christians in these countries that are giving their life to Jesus and they're getting tested in their faith. Within weeks of giving their life to Jesus, they've got guns pointed at their heads or machetes held to their necks saying, give up the faith and you can live. And all because of a wonderful man they believe in who never harmed a soul while he was on earth who walked and expressed love in its most purest form. That's all Jesus did. What has the world got against Jesus? Nothing. They've got nothing on Jesus. He's the best man you would have ever met. Amen? Yeah. So let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I just pray that this word will... uh, reach into all our hearts today, but I also pray that as it goes on the internet in a few weeks' time, that it will also reach into many hearts worldwide as well. Thank you for giving uh, us this word today. I just pray that you um, you just move in our hearts and, and help us to really take on board exactly what's been said and, and really consider it and uh, let it change us, Lord. Bring many uh, souls to, to faith through this message, I pray. I just pray that you really do a work in our hearts and change us. Lord, if there's anyone here that is uh, receiving what I'm saying, Lord, just do a work in their heart. Just cause them now just to uh, receive you as Lord and Saviour, to make a confession of faith that they will give up sin and living the, uh, the lifestyles that this world has made so popular and turn and follow you and, and walk, walk after you in every regard. I just pray, Lord, that the Bible and, and, uh, and that you and that Lord Jesus Christ will become everything to them and that they will seek out and continue to seek out the truth day by day and not let a day go past where they haven't looked into you and, and considered your word. I just pray for real life changes to take place in every single person here, Lord, and that uh, we will grow stronger and stronger in our faith every day as we continue to walk after you. So be with us now and and bless the rest of this day, Lord. And uh, pour out your spirit on us uh, all week long. Keep us strong in our faith. Keep us passionate for our faith and stir us. uh, And may we all come back together again next Sunday and uh, be blessed as we come together again. Be with us now. Amen. Amen. listening to this sermon. If you search Rob Cartledge in the iTunes store or go to www.robcartledge.com, you'll see a number of different sermon series uncovering religion, truth, judgment and eternity, apologetics 101, critical doctrine and end times. Feel free to check them out.